podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, we're back again with another AI Writers podcast after another good week for Liverpool. Um, I was a nervous wreck on Tuesday, I'm sure many Liverpool fans were before the game, but it turned out to be a very, very good result. Um, I mean, of course, there was a few needless goals for Roma at the end, which to give them hope for the second leg, but we can't really argue with the fact that we scored five goals past the Italians, so we're all in good spirits, I hope. Um, but joining me as usual is my co-host Tom Holmes. Tom, how are you doing? I am buzzing. I've just had a second great week off. I saw Infinity War, uh, Liverpool uh, halfway to the final of the Champions League. So what is to complain about? I love how you had to get that bit in about Infinity War. I mean, uh, obviously there's been a lot of talk about it, but I think Liverpool take precedent over a film. <laughs> to, to, cl- to clarify, I'm not going to spend the entire hour of this film talking about Infinity War, but we did have a conversation about it before the pod, which is why Leanne's getting that, <laughs> getting that back at me. <laughs> Anyway, um, we're mixing it up a little bit this week in that the two articles on the agenda are from Tom and myself. Um, so our guest, Ollie Emerson, will be on hand to pick them apart and give us his views on them. Uh, so, Ollie, how are you? I'm really good. Um, in good spirits. No one's made me f- see Infinity War, which is just adding <laughs> to my week, really. Uh, and I am honoured to be the uh, trust, trusty man called by you two when you want to talk about your own articles. You just need someone to come on, ar- come on and argue with you, which is, you know, my preference on a day-to-day basis, really. Yeah, we've you tried, like to... Uh, we've been trying to get you on for ages, but you either keep not writing articles or then the one week you well, do write article, you're like, oh yeah, sorry, I can't make it. Despite I like, saying I like, to, I like, to, I like to keep you on your toes. And then just as you, no one's expecting me to appear, bang, I'm here. I think without it's a good podcast. Without any Infinity though, War spoilers. Yeah, you like to sort of pick us apart anyway. So um, we'll start with Tom's article. Um, it should be interesting. Um, which looks at Tuesday's display, um, which, as he says in his piece, you know, showed the very best of this Liverpool team, but also their far more frustrating side. So, Tom, I'll pass to you and you just introduce your piece. Yeah, so I kind of... I was, it was more of the it was more of an article that was kind of based off the reaction to the game rather than the game itself. Um, just because I thought the game itself was really interesting in that it, as you say, it was one of those games where if you could sort of sum up Klopp's Liverpool in a game, it would be that in the sense that we were absolutely scintillating going forward, played really really well, scored five goals. Obviously, there was pace, there was pressing, it was a brilliant performance for the majority of the game. But then at the end, we completely switched off. We made some really bad defensive errors, shipped a couple of goals. We didn't get the rub of the green with the referees. So this was very much a game where sort of if you were to sort of sum up Liverpool in a game, it would be this one. Um, and I just really wanted to examine the sort of the crux of the articles. Because you, you see comments like a better team than this Liverpool team, for example, would have held on to the 5-0. This, you know, Liverpool need to hold on for that 5-0. Liverpool need to shut the game down better. Liverpool need to do this. Liverpool need to do that. And my question was, fundamentally at the core of the article, can we have it both ways? Can we have a Liverpool side that can get themselves into positions where they're 5-0 up against teams like Roma without having the two goals that were shipped at the other end? It's basically my question. Are we going to be able to get the best of both worlds? Are we going to be able to get a Liverpool side that can go and blitzkrieg teams 5-1, 5-2 without without the worst bits of it, without those defensive errors, without those concentration errors. Um, so I wanted to kind of 
the first thing I want to do is I want to sort of put the Roma win into some context because a lot of people will say, oh, like you know, uh, any you know, a team teams need to not concede goals in these sorts of games. Um, so only the last team to score five goals against Roma was Barcelona. They beat them six one in November of 2015 in the qualifying game. Um, the last team to do it in a knockout stage was when Man United beaten sorry Bayern beat them sorry yeah Man United beat them seven one in April 2007. They've also lost seven one to Bayern since then. Um, but in terms of three goal defeats, which is the ones I kind of wanted to contextualise, uh, they lost 3-0 to Porto in Champions League qualifying last week, uh, last season uh, in, in August 2016, and then obviously 4-1 to Barca. So the point I was trying to make is that not anyone is just going to pitch up and smash Roma. Those are all, the, all those defeats I could find were in Champions League qualifying. I couldn't find the league game in recent years where they lost by three goals. Although, to be fair, their main sort of opposition in Syria are... The only team that like, you'd expect to beat them regularly are Juve, and Juve aren't really a super attacking side. Um, either way, I just wanted to start off making the point that, you know, it's it, it's not, you can't just go turn up and beat Roma 5-0. It doesn't happen that often. So the fact that we scored 5 in and of itself is an indictment of this of how good this Liverpool team are. It's a real statement. So um, so I kind of wanted to address, so to get to the, the sort of the crux of the article, can Liverpool have it both ways? Can we go and beat teams 5-0 without having defensive errors. Um, and one of the interesting questions that was asked was, um, I think it was Steve McMahon I'm on a commentary, but it might have, might not have been. But he said he was astounded that Liverpool went three at the back at 5-2. He's like, oh, why didn't you do it at 5-0? To which my answer would be, oh, why not at 4-0? Why not at 3-0? Why not at 2-0? Because a lot of people would say, going into this game, 2-0 is a fantastic result. 2-0 is a brilliant result for Liverpool. So why did Liverpool keep attacking at 3-0 at 2-0? Why did Liverpool keep attacking at 3-0? Why did Liverpool keep attacking at 4-0? So my point is, you know, it's easy to look back and go, we should have shut the game down at 5-0, but the game was playing into our hands predominantly at that stage. It could easily have been 6 or 7, to be honest with you. So I don't think that tactically, I don't think Klopp got anything wrong. You could argue, once you brought off Salah, maybe we should have shut up Klopp a little bit more, but we still had Firmino and Mane on the pitch, and we were controlling the game. So there wasn't really any evidence that we should have shut up Klopp differently, and and also, I don't think there was any evidence that if we had shut up shop, it would have prevented a defensive error that would have led to a goal. Um, so I think there is some justification for the argument that uh, our strengths and weaknesses are intertwined, simply because the way we play football is going to mean we're going to make we're going to take more risks. It means we are going to concede more goals. Just and the evidence historically does suggest that Klopp generally is not not a fantastic defensive manager. He's not the sort of manager who is going to routinely get his sides to keep lots of clean sheets. That's just because of the style of play that we are. Um, so I do think, to an extent, the question of whether or not we can we can have it both ways, I, I'm not sure there's ever going to be the answer to that that we want, because I think Klopp's style does have its limitations, especially defensively. What I would say is that there's more we can do to mitigate the defensive errors. For example, we buy a better centre-back than Dejan Lovren and he doesn't do what commit the error that led to the first goal. Um, we do need we do need a controlling midfielder because as much as stylistically we're not very good at shutting down games, having having a player in that midfield, and this is the one that everyone's been talking about for, for weeks now, for months now, so it's not a new point, but having someone who can just shut it down by virtue of being the sort of player who can even if it's not necessarily the tactics, is 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 a vital addition to the side. However, I think if you look at the bigger picture, I do think I think this is a Liverpool team that are going in the right way. And I think that this is a Liverpool team that at the moment you would much rather see them go at go at that sort of game and take the game exactly the same way again and 
win 5-2 and risk 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 the 5-2 for the sake of a 6 or 7-0 because that's the type of team this Liverpool team are and you don't get to positions for me this is the key point you don't get to being in positions where you're 5-0 up in the first place if you don't play the kind of football that at 5-0 is going to leave you susceptible and I don't think it's straightforward that we should just automatically change our style mid-game especially when you consider this is fundamentally Klopp's setup and Klopp's philosophy Um, and the title of the article is wielding the sword and that's the, you know, the, the basic of the live by the sword, die by the sword. That is, that is Klopp's way. That is Liverpool's way. And I don't think that's going to change. Whether or not that is a viable philosophy, clearly it is to the extent that clearly this is a team that is playing really well. And this is a philosophy that is working at the moment. Whether or not it's, cause this is the big question for me. And this is one that I don't think it's a straightforward answer to. And I kind of hinted at it in the article, but I didn't address it entirely. Can Liverpool win the Premier League with this philosophy? Because I've spoken to a f- quite a few non-Liverpool fans who think that Klopp, Klopp's limitations mean he can never win the Premier League with this Liverpool team. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can certainly see where the argument lies. And the evidence for me is inconclusive. And that would be my take on it personally. But as I said, I do think this Liverpool team is more than good enough to win the Champions League. I think this is a Liverpool team that has the capability to really succeed and really up the ante. And right now, I think we should just be enjoying the football rather than criticising it. Yeah, and I think you may you may uh, make a lot of good points. And the major point for me being that this is a Klopp team that's always been expected to play exciting football. He's not the type of manager to sit back and invite pressure on. And when he does, actually, it's it's kind of gone wrong for Liverpool in many ways. Um, so, you know, we, we've grown accustomed to seeing this exciting style of football from him. And I wouldn't change that for the world. As you said, again, in the article, to take a 5-0 lead in a, in a European Cup semi-final, you know, that's something special. Um, you, you can't do that if you're sitting back and being defensive all the time. So I think it's testament to how good his strategy can be, um, albeit with a bit of, you know, capitulation. Well, capitulation is too strong a word, but, you know, conceding two soft goals at the end there. So... Ollie, what did you make of it in, you know, addressing the, the key question? Do you think it's something Liverpool can persist with? I think it was a, a lovely article by a lovely man. And the first thing I'd like to address is his reference to Steve McMahon, who is amazed by everything. As in, I've got some, uh, a couple of little cousins, they're about five, five and seven. And they, you know, they're, they're, they want to sap up every, all the information in the world. Everything's like, how does this happen? Why is this happening? Steve McManaman is that, but in a grown man's body, which is slightly less charming. As in, I think, like, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp could stand up his, get off his seat in a way that McManaman didn't deem him, like, properly be like, what? Why is he standing up like that? What's going on? But, getting away from Steve McManaman, regarding what you said, Tom, about that, was that it was a really good point. Why didn't Liverpool stop attacking at 5-0? Well, because it works for them at 3-0 and 4-0. And I think a big thing that, I think I got absolutely slaughtered early on in the season for when we threw it away at Sevilla uh, when the, the three all in the group stages and I was sort of you know I was I was annoyed, as annoyed as the rest of us but after a little while I was thinking you know it's uh, we, we should have got the win and blah 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 blah. but if you'd asked me for a 3-3 at the start I'd have taken it and depending on how much you believe in momentum or how much effect that, if, that, that has if you don't think it has as much an effect as many other people do then you'd say well it's still a decent result we move on and I think we'll all agree that 5-2 is more than a decent result, as in, if we'd have, if, just like for, for argument's sake, it goes 1-0 us, 1-1, 2-1 to us, 2-2, and then we trot away with a 5-2 victory, everyone's buzzing and thinks that, you know, we've got a foot and 
four toes in Kiev. But obviously, when you know it's five nil and then the, the two come back, the, you get, you're going to get nervous. But equally, like I, if you'd offered me five nil at the start with her uh, and then go to five two, I'd be like, yes, uh, we'll take that happily. And we should, and that's why I do agree, Tom, that you know. You, there's always room for criticism unless you win a million nil every game but when you're scoring five in European semi-finals I don't think you really there's much room to nitpick uh, especially because the, the, the big idea regarding Liverpool and it's something I've thought for a while is that yes the system that Klopp plays and what we do how we attack is always going to attract sort of a level of vulnerability in the defence at the best of times but there are certain games where, like this one, where you say, oh, it was 5-0 and 5-2 and Paul was through perfectly and now they're not quite. Should they have been attacking? But equally, it, it, it wasn't this sort of constant... We weren't getting counter-attacks by Roma. They didn't slide us, like, cut us apart four on two. Dejan Lovren jumped for a ball and missed it. And Edin Dzeko slotted it in. And then there was a sort of dodgy penalty. Of course, the dodgy penalty did sort of was associated with some poor defending all round because we were sort of on the ropes a bit. But... If Lovren remembers how to jump in some sort of uh, competent manner and the referee doesn't give a penalty, it's probably 5-0 and we're not even having this discussion. It's in the other games where we are attacking too much and leaving gaps at the back as a result of that. I can see the point of why people say, oh, you know, should Klopp's be doing this? But when it's just individual errors, I think it's like, as you sort of said, as you're getting towards the conclusion of your point there, Tom, you said, it's not that we've got to change the style necessarily to get better at defending, we just need to buy better defenders. And when Dejan Lovren's one of your defenders, as well as he played at times against Roma and as well as he played against Man City, etc., etc., uh, he could have given away a penalty in the first half really easily and then made a mistake for the goal. So it's not that hard to get better for sort of a, a sort of low sort of money. Uh, what really interested me on Twitter and the like this week was the comments from Man United fans desperate to stay, stay relevant as they trot towards the most depressing second place finish in Premier League history. Um, was uh, the comments as oh if the Jose Mourinho team was 5-0 up they'd had it locked down and saw it out uh, I think the Jose Mourinho team was last 5-0 up in about 1993 like, it just doesn't happen there's a reason that Jose Mourinho just saw it out because he's never in that position and I don't know what, what everyone else finds funny, funny, funner to watch but I'd much rather watch us win 5-2 and concede a couple of late goals than win 1-0 or maybe go out to an average Spanish team trying to nick an away goal um, the, the big picture as you've said is and as you said, your friends have said, is, is, is it a system that can win the league? And I agree with you that that's up for debate because of the sort of, there are times where it is the system that contributes to drop points and Liverpool teams switch off. But equally, this is the sort of defending has been a problem throughout Klopp's tenure at Liverpool. It has got better recently. And I don't think you can say, oh, Liverpool have been doing this for ages. Is it going to win the league? I think you, I think in terms of can this Liverpool team win the league, you can only really review from January onwards because it is a much different team to when we had Coutinho where sort of the midfield operates a bit differently the front three are sort of more out on their own we're not as having as many pot shots we can at times we could be more patient in possession because Coutinho is not trying to land them in 30 yards and we've now we've got Van Dijk at the back so whilst yeah it's concerning I don't think you can go back to nights like that one in Seville in August or whatever happened last season and say oh can the Liverpool team win the league because it's a new Liverpool team um, so, yeah, a couple of goals are slightly concerned and rather than not have conceded them. But like you said, if you live by the sword and die by the sword with an attack like ours, you're going to win most of the fights. The, the, the first thing I just want to quickly say is, for me, the, for me, the point of the article is only really to sort of use the game as a vehicle. So the 5-2 was a really good example of the philosophy. And um, I think the 5-2 was a really good example of the wider questions. Because I do think the fact that these wider questions do keep rearing their heads defensively the defensive question is for me the big one um 
Uh, as I say, I know quite a few people who do not think we can shore up this defence to the extent that it's going to be title winning because they simply feel it doesn't matter who you put in there. The the system is too open and there are going to be play there are always going to be players making mistakes because of the system because of the demands of the system and that's that's a, that's an that's an opinion. Um, I would certainly argue that we have defended better since Christmas, but we've had we've had periods throughout Klopp's reign where we've defended well, and then we've had periods where we'll just implode for a few for a few weeks or a few months. And ultimately, our defence has improved, but on paper, it's not as pro- improved as much as I thought it had, or as much as I would like. So I guess that's the big that's the big question, isn't it? And that going into next season remains the question. That for me is the key point uh, that we can we can have we can keep having the conversation: Are we going to improve defensively? But we we are, but we're not necessarily improving as much as we would like, as quickly as we would like, and we are still prone to those collapses. So that that's that for me is the big question mark. Not to, as I said, I don't want to make this a negative piece because the, the overwhelming point of the article was yes, I think this philosophy is viable, and I would much rather live by the sword than live because live by live and die by the sword because as as you pointed out, we are going to win more games than we're going to lose playing this style, and we are definitely definitely improving. Um, I did actually try and find out how many games Mourinho had been five 0 up in in his career, and I I just couldn't find them. And after about five minutes of looking, I thought it was a bit too petty to keep trying. So I decided to, to stop looking, but um, not not as many as he should have been for a man who spends around a million trillion pounds a season. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my opinion on Man United is, remains the same. They they start every season saying nothing less than a title is acceptable, and the end of the season saying an FA Cup is a brilliant season. Yeah, yeah. I, I think some really good points have been made though, especially with the two goals we conceded. What weren't really because Liverpool were pushing forward too much. Yes, we've seen that earlier in the season, but there was a mistake at the back from a player who had done really well against Edin Dzeko for, what, 80-odd minutes? And then a poor refereeing decision that was arguably one of the harshest handballs I've ever seen given, um, replaced. I, you know, I, I don't think James Milner does anything wrong there. Um, and Mourinho's side couldn't have got themselves 5-0 up because we have that electric pace and that trickery going forward that's been so key this season. Um, I think in in terms of you know title winning, can this philosophy prevail? I think it can. Um, you know, key to that is obviously looking at bringing in a centre back in the summer to partner Van Dijk. But if you look at Man City, they're not exactly a defensive team. We've got at them a lot this season, and okay, you know they've been relatively untested by a lot of teams in the league. But they feel very very attacking, grave teams. They usually put you know five or six attacking players on there. And they don't really blanket their defence. So if you really get at them like we did, there are holes in their defence too. And yet they've sort of run away with the league purely because of how good their attacking has been. So, you know, of course, it's sort of an exception to the rule in terms of how City have been this season. But that, to me, provides evidence that it can be done in an attacking philosophy. What I would say in response to that is that if you... I don't... It, it, it's perhaps potentially slightly oversimplistic to suggest that it's the attacking aspect of the philosophy that's the issue. Um, because I don't think it's the fact that we're an attacking team that is the problem. And I don't think it's necessarily part of the issue that we attack too much. I think part of the issue is the way we the way we defend, in that we defend from the front, we defend in a pressing style. Uh, and Guardiola's is obviously Guardiola's philosophy is obviously fundamentally different to Klopp's because they play different types of philosophy. And I think um, the other thing to note is that Klopp's philosophy cannot be equal to Guardiola's to win the league. It has to be better. And the reason it has to be better is that we're working off less resources and we're always going to be working off less resources. So we have to have a philosophy that is not 
that is that can win us more games than a philosophy that would necessarily be acceptable with more money is the is the point I'm trying to make here. Um, so it, it's not enough for us to have a philosophy that's similar and good enough stylistically to match cities. It's got to be a philosophy that is inherently superior to cities because City are always going to be able to buy players who are going to fit that philosophy better. And it actually, if you look at the midfield specifically, that's where City's midfield is very, very different to Klopp's because even Klopp prioritises pressing and work above all else, whereas pressing is just one element of City's style, if that makes sense. Um, I think pressing is very, very important to Guardiola, and I think clearly the way City dominate games is the way City work hard, but Klopp prioritises that pressing and that working hard and that and that element of the game more, whereas Guardiola will always prefer what... For Guardiola, it's less about quick transition, it's more about passing and the way that they pass and the, the, the game style of passing and controlling games. We don't control games. We have a, an organised chaos, whereas Guardiola's games are a lot more about control. Um, I, I, I mean, this is this article, you know, this the, the question of the differential in philosophies between Klopp and Guardiola is not is not the point of the article, um, and it's not. It's an interesting discussion, but it's not one that I would be tactically nuanced enough to necessarily give a big debate to. But what I will say with Guardiola is that um, it's not necessarily a direct comparison, and even if it was, that's that's not enough because we don't have Guardiola's resources. I I I agree. I didn't mean it sort of as a blank comparison between. Between the two teams, and I think you've made some. No, good I know, I know, I know you didn't. I just wanted pressing. to elucidate yeah, yeah. And I think you, you know you've made a really good point there. We don't control games, but, but it comes back to Jurgen Klopp and you know his style as a manager. I know it's not, as you said, it's not really what you focus on in the article, but I think that's something that we've just got to sort of learn to live with as well. Because when it works and we win a game five nil. If we'd won 5-0 against Roma, you know, we, we would all be celebrating and thinking, you know, this is a masterclass from Jurgen Klopp. Um, and I still thought it was a terrific game. I'm not sure why a lot of people are focused on the negatives of it. Um, but he did say, I think it was immediately as soon as he came to Liverpool, he said, this is heavy metal football. We will just sort of go gung ho. And it's always been that kind of style from him. And I think that's never going to change as long as he's manager. So it is just a case of, We've obviously made a big improvement since Van Dyke's come in, and if you know we get and welcome centre back in, can we? Okay, we're not going to control games, but can we sort of just blow teams away and have two players in that defence that are less susceptible to these defensive errors? Because I think that's sort of really what it's going to come down to. I think, yeah, I think Tom's pretty much hit the nail on the head with most of what he's written and most of what he said, and my sort of parting comment on the subject of sort of the criticism of the two goals is that. Jurgen Klopp, no manager is perfect, but Jurgen Klopp is pretty close, but even he has his imperfections. But those imperfections, I mean, there's a time and a place to discuss them, to criticise them, to see what he can do differently. And those, that time is not when you just won a European Cup semi-final first leg, 5-2, against a team that just put three past Barcelona without an answer in their own backyard. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I mean, as I say at the outset, uh, for me, for me, the argument a better team would beat this team would beat this team five two is just superfluous. So what's your point? Yeah, a, be- a better team than Klopp's Liverpool would win the game five 0 What's that? What does that even mean? A, a better team would get a better result. Of course they would. A worse team's going to get a worse result. There are significant numbers of worse teams out there who wouldn't even get in that position in the first place. It's it's an entirely stupid thing to say. Do you know what I mean? I do I do th- I do think that as I say I think the game is for me 
more interesting in the sense that it gives us a vehicle to talk about Klopp as a manager and talk about Liverpool systemically. But I think to try and criticise a game that so perfectly sums up Liverpool's strengths and weaknesses is focusing on the negative too much. Yeah, that's, I think that's why that's my that's my take on it. I think we could need a point to win the title and we'd be away at City and be 2-0 up and end up drawing 2-2 two, two and win the title and people would still be moaning that we threw it away and the defence is rubbish. So, you know, I think, yeah, there's time to criticise. It's not perfect, but, you know, when you're winning 5-2 in a Champions League semi-final, save at the moment, not the defensive errors. We can we can yeah, talk about the, the defense. Sorry, we can talk about the defense next week if we lose three 0 but I don't think we will. We so. can so we can talk about the defense when we lose two 0 against Stoke on Saturday. Let alone I'm next week. Not. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I was going to say is um, just sort of a, as a um, just an interesting question. And again, I don't want to focus on the negatives, but if as I think you've both said, you know, you're not really sure if this is a, a philosophy that can sort of lead us to the title at present. You know, with our lack of controlling games. What can Jurgen Klopp do to address that? Because he's not going to turn into Mourinho overnight, and nor should he. Um, so is it a case of you know, bringing people in in the summer who have that little bit more control about them? Is it a case of actually, OK, this is something we've seen over the season and over last season, but missing Emre Chan in there again, he's a, he's a crucial player and does add a little bit of control in that midfield. So what can Jurgen Klopp do um, that is sort of in his remit, not, you know, changing his managerial style to address this. Buy a better centre back. Yeah, buy a better centre back. It's like some some goals Liverpool concede because of the system. Some goals Liverpool concede because of individual errors. I'd like to look at what we'd look like in terms of goals conceded if we just did concede some of the system but had less errors coming from a certain Croatian. Who, who does deserve credit for his performance on Tuesday? But like, yeah, literally, literally, fair, literally, literally that is the answer. Yeah, apart from nearly giving away a penalty and actually giving away a yeah. goal. But that's that that's the thing with Wolverham. Like, <laughs> you know, that sounds sarcastic, but it's like, you know, it's like when you're playing football with like a seven year old, like if they manage to score one past you and miss the rest and you say, you know, fair enough, good job for today. Like you can't like a, a, a bad Van Dyke performance is different to a good Lovren performance. You know, you have to basically hope with Lovren that he makes doesn't make many mistakes and so they're not costly. Um, but yeah, that is literally the answer. As in, we've, we've, we've said we don't know if the philosophies can win the league, but we think there's a chance. But the, what we do know, at least what I know, is that the philosophy cannot win the league if you've got a player, player or players making errors on a constant basis. Nail on head, pretty much. Yeah. I think Ollie's pretty much bang on. I think this philosophy can win the league. Whether or not it will remains to be seen. Um, so I think we've pretty much covered that. I think it's a really interesting discussion. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's an interesting discussion because I wrote an article on it. But um, we'll move on to talk about yours now, Leanne. And yours is on the other sort of big, well, not the other big talking point, but one of the main talking points that's come out of the last few weeks, which is Bobby Firmino. Because you you think he is still an incredibly underrated player. Yeah, I do. You know, when the PFA Player of the Season and Team of the Years came out, I, I thought it showed how underappreciated he still is. Um, not not everyone will agree that he should be in team of the year. And I think both of you said um, before we started the podcast that you weren't really sure if he should be. And, you know, that's fair enough. The front three are deserving of, of their place in it. But for me, it was just sort of an indication that there is a bit of underappreciation in, in the wider footballing world. Um, so I just sort of looked at, at what Firmino brings to Liverpool. Uh, he's got the tenacity and the off the ball work rate that Klopp's system demands. And then he's got his creativity and, and a great eye for a pass. Uh, there was a brilliant assist. I think it was against um, 
Bournemouth where he just flicked it through to Salah, perfect weight on the ball. And again, we saw that on Tuesday night in, in Ro- uh, against Roma. Um, I think it was Salah's second goal, the chipped one, where Firmino just puts it on a plate for him. Of course, it still you know needs a brilliant finish, but the weighting of the pass, it was all perfect. And the, the large majority of Liverpool's attacking moves do go through Firmino. Um, so I looked at that and his overall contribution in terms of defensive contribution. He's won more tackles in the Premier League this season than every other top six defender except from Aspilicueta. You're looking at his goals contribution. He's now on 25 for the season, I think, in all competitions. Um, so he, he's very much the perfect player for Liverpool. He's the highest scoring Brazilian to ever play in the Premier League. Um, and so the record of goals he's on at the moment would be good for someone like Harry Kane or Roberto Firmino, uh, not Roberto Firmino, um, Romelu Lukaku. So the fact that he's adding all these goals and he's still doing so much off the ball um, is testament to just how good and special a player he is and how much he's progressed since the, the days um, under Brendan Rodgers, where I think I put a stat in the article itself. Um, but, you know, he hadn't contributed a goal or assist in six games that he played under Rodgers. So there's a very, very major improvement in terms of uh, final third contribution as well. So, yeah, I just, you know, took a look at what he's added to the, added to the team over the years and, and how good he's been this season. Um, so, you know, people will say, OK, everyone's getting more aware of just how good he is. And they are. Uh, but I still think there's a little way to go to really reflect just how good he is for this Liverpool team and how, you know, much of a perfect fit he is for Klopp as well. Um, so, yeah. Ollie, Bobby Firmino, your thoughts. Um, do you agree with Ian that you think he's potentially underappreciated? Or do you think that actually we're starting to get the hang of exactly who and what Bobby is and what he brings to the table? And even though he's excellent, we maybe have an indication to over-deify him just because other teams don't necessarily appreciate him. I think it's an interesting one. I mean, to start, my thoughts on Bobby Firmino is, is quite good at kicking the spherical thing around and chasing the spherical thing and whatnot. Uh, on to the sort of more complex issue of is he underrated, how good is he, etc, 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 how do you compare him against other strikers? It's an interesting one. In general, I've always thought he's been underrated, but now not so much. And I'll sort of tell you why. At, at the moment, we're seeing Bobby Firmino's best season in of his career. So it's not like he's doing what he's been doing for the last three years. What he's been doing for the last th- three years has been good, but this year he's kicked it up a notch. Um, like we said, 25 goals in all competitions, as numerous assists, been great in the Premier League for the most part, really good in the Champions League pretty much throughout. I think he's joined with Salah as the second top scorer and that behind a certain Portuguese winger who plays for Real Madrid. Um, I, I, I think the argument over whether he's underrated is really interesting because he definitely was, make no bones about it, because because... Obviously, you get, you've got the goals and then you've got what he does off the ball. And when he's a striker, he's most judged on goals. Like sort of last season, parts of the year before, he wasn't scoring as much as he'd liked, but he was still, you know, contributing to the team. There wasn't a case of like, oh, should we drop him, whatever. Um, but maybe other, other fans don't see that as much when they're watching the maps of days or just watching the highlights on their phone. So yeah, he wasn't great. Whilst now, I think they, they, they rate him more. But I also think Liverpool fans have kicked it up a notch as well. So we, I was sort of intrigued by sort of the claims of Firmino should be in, be in the team of the season, um, which I thought was an interesting one. Because I think there's definitely an argument there. He's been one of the best attackers in the league this season. He's got a minutes per goal ratio better than Romelu Lukaku, better than Hazard, better than Morata, you know, better than these top strikers. Um, but equally, I don't know how you can sort of 
I don't think what what he does off the ball is brilliant. It's brilliant for this Liverpool team, and it makes him a better player than other strikers who score similar amounts of goals to him. But I don't think it makes him better than a Harry Kane, better than a Sergio Aguero. It might put him behind those two. I'd argue that I'd rather have him. Um, you sort of have to discuss like. Obviously, like we'd rather have Firmino than pretty much most strikers in the world for this Liverpool team because he's perfect. But I think to rate him on the whole, you have to sort of say, who would we rather have him over than in any team in the world? And I think I'd rather have him over Lukaku. I'd rather have him over Vardy. Uh, I'd rather have him over Morata, Jesus, etc. You might have guessed, I'm just quickly glancing at the Premier League top scorers. I'm astounded that Luka Mio. Milojevic, the Palace one, whose name I can't pronounce, has got 10 goals. I'm thinking most of them must be penalties. Eight but, uh, yeah. penalties, I believe. Yeah, that, that, well, that explains it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, th- I take more over all those, but I, I don't think he's an elite striker in terms of one of the best five strikers in the world. And that's, that is what he is now, he's a striker. And like I said, his qualities off the ball, his qualities in sort of non-goal scoring terms, so assists and the like, put him above, uh, in sort of my striker rankings, put him above players that score similar amounts of goals. But I think some Liverpool fans view him as as good as Harry Kane, as good as Aguero, and they're the sort of two in the league, followed by some strikers around the world. That as much as I love Firmino and as much as he's perfect for this Liverpool team, when taking it, just viewing him as a player, not as how good is Firmino as part of this Liverpool team, just how good is Firmino. I maybe don't think he's as underrated as he used to be because he's now improved his goal scoring. So people are viewing because he is now a better player and people are rating him more. He's still going to get people that have their first thought of him as, oh, he's really good off the ball and doesn't score enough goals. And then if you pointed out their fact that he is now scoring quite a lot of goals and being sensational off the ball, they'd probably go, oh, OK. But I do think in general, he is now rated at sort of a closer level to where he is actually at and arguably overrated by some. And if that's a controversial opinion, I think it might be. Fight, fight, fight. Um, Leanne, Leanne, what do you make of that? controversial. <laughs> um... No, I I do take a, a lot of Ollie's points on board, and I do think he's made a good a good point about this being Firmino's best season. Um, and I should just correct myself from earlier; it's actually 27 goals after the two he got against Roma. Um, but you know, Liverpool fans definitely rate him. People are increasingly aware of his ability and his talents. But for me, what I wanted to, to draw from the article and, and draw attention to in terms of Firmino is that. This is a player who is so much more than just a conventional number nine. Okay, we can say, and and everyone knows, if you're looking at Harry Kane or Firmino, who suits Liverpool better, it's obviously Firmino. Um, And he is, you know, consensual to to Klopp's philosophy and to his system. And I think that that's just, for me, indicative of just how good he is, because he does so much more than, than other strikers would do. He's the joint fourth most assists in the Champions League season behind Milner, Rooney and Neymar. So he's joint with players like Lee and uh, Ibrahimovic, I think, is one as well. So, you know, what he's doing is exceptional. And I, I just think for me personally, player of the season, um, maybe more so of the year, because I, I take um, on board the, the arguments that, you know, Harry Kane and Sergio Aguero have been really good and they do score a lot of goals for their teams. And of course, Mohamed Salah was more than a worthy winner. He was the runaway winner. And and I'm not in any way questioning uh, how he got that award. Uh, He more than deserved it. But Firmino, for me, should have been in the back. He should have been in that six-man nomination for what he's achieved and for the fact he is far more than than a conventional number nine because he does so much. And, you know, I provided examples of his 
defensive work, his midfield work, his goal scoring, and it's all improving constantly. So, you know, obviously I'm coming across as a huge Firmino lover and I really, really am. And I, I don't think anyone could over, um, overrate Firmino at this point in time. I, I just think what he's doing is absolutely phenomenal. Okay. I would argue, just briefly, I, I think, I think I'm probably leaning with Ollie on this one, Leanne, I'm afraid. I do think if you, th- I, I personally think if you think Bobby should be in the PFA team of the year or he should be in the, as shortlisted for the player of the uh, player of the year trophy, I think that is overrating him. If I'm being completely honest, um, I think I think for me, Oli kind of hit the nail on the head when he said Bobby is a better fit than all these other players for this team. But you can't. But I think with so his thing for me, so many te- so many people only look at the goals because that's what they think a striker should be. Liverpool fans look at the whole picture, but then what they don't do is they don't decontextualize again. They look at the whole picture and they go, oh, well, Bobby does all the defensive work. Bobby does all the midfield work. They don't look at what other teams are or aren't doing, if that makes sense. So if you look at Harry Kane, Harry Kane is only in that side to score goals. That is his role. He's, he's not, he's not asked to do Bobby's work. He's not asked to be creative. He's not asked to be defensive. So I don't think it's fair to say that he should be, not, maybe not penalised for it, but I think we can't hold Bobby in a higher standard because Bobby does things that Kane isn't asked to do. And the bottom line is Kane scores a lot more goals than Bobby. It's not just a few more. It's a lot more goals than Bobby, um, especially in the league. So Kane is doing his job to prove, and Aguero likewise. I think what one element that may, may be underrated of Aguero is his creativity. Aguero is more creative than Bobby in the league. Like he just is. He's got a higher XA per ninety. So so Aguero does contribute to this Man City team as well with more than just goals. Um, so I think both of those players do different jobs for their teams, but the jobs that they do for their teams are shouldn't shouldn't be quite. We shouldn't be asking the question how much defensive work does Kane do. Because for me, that's exactly the same question as, as saying how many goals does Bobby Firmino score? You have to look at the whole picture, and that's what Ollie. I think that's why I think Ollie's right when he says you have to look at which players would work in, maybe not in any system, but which players work outside of the system, if that makes sense. And to that extent, Bobby Firmino is a perfect player for Liverpool, but I don't think that necessarily means that he's better player than, for example, Leroy Sane, the job Sane's been doing for City, or I certainly don't think he's better than Aguero or Kane, especially with the jobs that they've been doing. I think it's. I think it would be a grossly unfair to say you should be in the team the year ahead, of, uh, ahead uh, on the shortlist. Sorry, instead of De Gea as well. So I think when you look at it that way, there are very few players I'd look at and go, "Do you know what? I think Bobby Firmino should be ahead of them in the position that they're in in that in that context." Although it, I I do think Bobby's a fantastic player who's coming along. One yeah. final point. One final point I'm going to make, and then I'll let you two you two completely dominate the discussion is. Um, uh, Ollie mentioned this is Bobby's best season. He also does seem to be overperforming as well. So it's it's entirely possible this his his level of output is unsustainable. Ooh, yeah, I mean, depressing. Um, just to just to clarify uh, for any listeners thinking I've you know grown seven heads and and got really stupid. Um, I, of course I don't think you know we should be expecting or you know seeing Harry Kane doing charges. The to, to clarify, I don't think I don't think that I don't think that's what you're forgetting. To be fair, I just think some Liverpool fans have yeah, I, I, kind of had that comparison because I have seen people do direct comparisons between Bobby and Lukaku's defensive actions, and I'm just like, well, that's pointless. Yeah, because the, they've that, been playing two is, different systems. Yeah, they're two completely different players. I think my point, which sort of is getting lost in this peak, my point is very much if you look at what Firmino does he is the perfect fit for Liverpool and I think we're all agreeing on that he's far more than a conventional number nine which is what Liverpool need and is what Klopp needs and what the system needs 
so in that sense, you know, he, he's doing perfectly. And if you look at his goals and his assists, he's improved drastically on that from when he was uh, under Rodgers. And even I think in his first season under Klopp, he got 11 goals or something, and then it was 12. So it's a big, big improvement. And yes, you know, questions of can he sustain this? Is this a one-off? But my point is very much, this is a player who is so integral to Klopp's system and so integral to the way Liverpool are playing. And there should be an appreciation of that. And therefore, because of how good he's been this season, I'm slightly surprised that, you know, it hasn't been picked up more by pundits or, you know, you, I sort of was using PFA as an example to say that's a, a very prestigious award, an award that is given by other players and, and, you know, is a reflection on how good a, a person's season has been. So for Firmino you know, to do what he's doing, and it is by far his best season at the club and even in his career, um, you know, there is still underappreciation of him. That's not to take away from, you know, the players who did get nominated or the team of the year. Of course, Aguero and Kane are brilliant players and how I do think in the wide world he is still underappreciated, not by Liverpool fans and okay, you know, as I'm really trying to stress, take away from the PFA argument. There are fans out there in the world that just think, well, you know, Firmino, he's only scored so and so goals this season. He's not as good as, you know, Romelu Lukaku. Well, for me, the point is he actually is. I think, I think what you said is, um, the interesting thing is that he's not a conventional number nine. Um, and therefore, when doing player comparisons, it's, it's difficult to say, you know, how good is he compared to this guy? How good is he compared to that guy? Because obviously what we've said is in Liverpool's system, he's better than pretty much anyone. Um, in another system, I think he could still be a really good striker, but you could argue that for say, I think there are, I think there are more teams in the world than there aren't where if Firmino moved, I think he'd be more effective to them as a number 10 rather than the striker. And then we'd be having a discussion, you know, who's, which, is he better than Christian Eriksen? Is he better than Kevin De Bruyne? Is he better than David Silva? Blah, 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 blah. And that, that's why with Firmino, it's difficult to say, you know, to sort of stack him against his peers because who are his peers in terms of position because he's doing a different role to most other strikers. Um, he's playing a different position to most. He's playing sort of, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that. And he doesn't score as many goals as the elite strikers, but he scores as many and more than loads of the top strikers. He's got a better minutes per goal than Lukaku this season, who United paid £75 million for to score goals and surrounded with a multitude of world-class talents to help him score goals. Um, so I, I do, I do get your point there, Leanne, sort of, I think, I think, I think it's possible to say that people sort of under, now are, are sort of now starting to underrate what Firmino is doing in terms of an attacking outlet, in terms of when you think of Firmino, the first thing you think of is, oh, you know, he's perfect for the Liverpool team, brilliant defensive work, does this, does that help Salah and Mane score goals? But now he is scoring a lot himself. And like Tom said, if he, he might not sustain that, but if he can sustain that, Fantastic. And then I think you will see people start to talk him up as this sort of great striker who's just a great striker in his own right in terms of what a traditional striker does rather than doing the other stuff. And then the other stuff just starts to add on. I think Firmino was underrated previously because they thought that the off the ball work he does defines him. And when you're a striker, it's not as important, especially when sort of ranking against other strikers. But now I think if he can kick on and continue scoring goals like the way he is, I think there's going to be the argument that he's just a fantastic striker in his own right in terms of the conventional striker and then his off-the-ball work is going to add on and then you can start talking about, you know, team of seasons and best strikers in the world and this and that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I definitely take your point, and I can see what you mean in terms of we're not. Like me and Tom are definitely not saying that he should have been in the team in the team of the year or nominated player of the year. But I do I do agree that maybe there wasn't as much discussion as you'd have expected for a sort of uh, a well-known second top scorer for one of the best teams in the league that's in the Champions League. So whether it's right or wrong, it's sort of interesting. There wasn't that much discussion about it. But then again, you could argue that that is because you know there's an Egyptian lad playing to the right of him that's breaking records left, right, and centre, and therefore maybe. In terms of like when awards are being handed out, if you go into a team that, like we said, is in the Champions League, but is yeah only maybe third or fourth in the league, you, then people don't want to be too kind and give it to everyone, so they do sort of focus on the main lad. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I I, I do do want to say I re- I do agree with you, Vian, fundamentally about how good Bobby is. I think Bobby's a fantastic player. I think he's had a brilliant season, and I I do 100% agree with your article. I just think it's interesting. Sort of, uh, just sort of re, just, you know, as I say, just contextualizing that discussion in terms of how you try and compare Bobby to other people, I think is the, is what I, what I found interesting rather than necessarily saying Bobby hasn't had a good season, which I think would be, you know, an unfair, an unfair criticism. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting that, um, Ollie was saying there, you know, it, it's potentially his goals, direct goals contribution that's underrated. Potentially that's it is, this season, 27 goals and 16 assists. They are very, very good numbers if you take away everything else. So if he can keep that going, maybe the, the appreciation from you know wider footballing circles will come. And that's an interesting argument. I, I just, yeah, I think Firmino's obviously progressing a lot with his game. Um, he's adding that direct contribution in terms of assists, in terms of goals as well. And he's providing... Uh, a much better outlet for Liverpool in terms of what he was doing in his first couple of seasons. You were left questioning, is this a player who can score 20 goals, who can sort of lift us, lift us to that next level? And of course, you've got Salah now who's, who's doing bits on the, the wing and uh, Sadio Mane's also having a very, very good season, which has gone underappreciated and, and not talked about as much. And that's the point. It's not that he should have been player of the season. As I said earlier, Mohamed Salah was a worthy winner, but he wasn't even in the discussion surrounding the award. He wasn't in any discussion surrounding player of the uh, team of the year. So, okay, you know, fair enough. If you don't think he should be in it, I, it was more a point that there's still very, very little talk of him in terms of these awards. Ollie, thoughts? I, I, I see what you mean. And like it, I mean, like it was me who said like a minute ago, like, you know, I think you can, I can see your point regarding there's not that much discussion. But equally, when I'm sort of, and I think Tom might agree with me, when I'm coming from the point of view that I love Firmino, he's had a fantastic season, he's great for the team. But I, I don't think that he should have been player of the year and I don't think he should have been nominated. Um, whilst I can sort of point out and like take a back step and say, I can see why people would be confused as to why he's not in the conversation. It's hard for me to go a bit further and say that even though I don't think he should be in the conversation, I don't think that I think, sorry, it's hard for me to go further and say that I think he should be in the conversation when I don't think he should be in the top six, if you get me. As in, he's had a great season, but I think to sort of suggest that he is hitting those heights is, um, maybe just a little bit too far in terms of praising him, which is hard for me to say because I'm sure we'll all agree that praising Roberto Firmino is probably one of the fun, sixth funnest things on the earth. Um, but yeah, I think a fantastic player, fantastic season. And I, 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 I'm sure there are people out there who still underrate him because some people just can't see talent. And like There'll be some fans of rival teams that just don't rate any of our players because they can't stand the thought of us being one of the best attacking teams in the world and Firmino's a part of that. But I think he is slowly, he's gradually becoming more rated. 
And that is going hand in hand with them gradually becoming better at football. Uh, and long may that continue, as Tom says, it might not be sustainable, but if it is, then we're going to get a good few years out of them yet. Yeah, absolutely. I think one other interesting point that I think you were, you alluded to, Ollie, a lot of Bobby's work is being done in the Champions League, not necessarily in the Premier League, which means when you come to have the conversation about the sort of domestic, the domestic trophies, it, it makes a bit more sense that his name isn't in the conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think it's fair to say that he's, like, if, if there's a Champions League player of the season, um, then put Firmino in the discussion because he's been phenomenal. You could argue that, especially in the group stages, he was as good as, I think like Liverpool's Champions League been interesting because I think Firmino was our best player in the group stages. Um, and then I think Mane was absolutely stonking at Porto away, bagged the hat trick. And then we got to the quarterfinals. They were all brilliant, but Salah's sort of now after that performance against Roma, he's hitting the headlines in terms of like Europe, but. If you want to look, if you, I mean, I know your main point then wasn't about the PFA. It was just sort of used as a tool to say, you know, could we be discussed him in this way or could maybe not? But just for sake of argument, if there was a Champions League player, I'm not, I don't think there is. Like, I don't think they do it like the World Cup. They have like a UEFA one, but I think that's like for the whole, that's for everything. But if there was an award just for the Champions League, then I think for me, you know, it'd be banging that discussion at least. I think you could, there's definitely an argument there to say he's been Liverpool's best player in the Champions League. Uh, and there's probably an argument to say overall, although, like I said earlier, there's a guy playing for Real Madrid who I think scored 17 goals in the Champions League this season. So he might have something to say about that. Apparently his ego is a little bit precious as well. So, But yeah, definitely Champions League, couldn't agree more. He's been on it throughout. Anything you want to respond to there, Leanne, or anything you want to sort of just finalise the discussion? Because we are, well, I think we, I think we've covered, covered pretty much most of it. Is there anything you wanted to reintroduce before we move on or... No, I think that's, um, you know, Ollie spot on. If there was, um, just sort of in terms of his Champions League contributions, he's been phenomenal. Um, just a, a round off statement. I think we are all in agreement that Firmino's doing very well this season. It's obviously his best one, um, for Liverpool by a country mile. And it's just good to see him performing well and showing off the, the various different skills he's got in terms of defending, in terms of creativity, in terms of, some some very very good finishes this season so yeah I just hope it continues yeah I think it, it's worth noting from my personal I wouldn't have put Firmino in the same bracket as Mane Salah or Coutinho at the start of the season but you, you absolutely have to now um, so I will move on to plugs then unless there's anything you want to add Ollie I'll, I'll get, let you just sort of say your piece and then you can go straight into your plug um, is there anything you wanted to plug for this week then um just to finish, yeah, I think I think you you made a really good just last point there, Tom. And I think that's a good one to end on. That you we sort of started the season with Firmino, sorry, uh, Coutinho, Mane, and then Salah coming in as being Liverpool's, like you know they were sort of in a category of their own, uh, and Firmino was slightly the one below that. Whilst I'd say now Firmino and Mane, Firmino's moved up to where Mane is and still was and still is, and then Salah's you know off being arguably the best player in the world at the moment. Uh, anyway, before that's a controversial, controversial one. Plugs. Uh, I wrote something a couple of weeks ago, which I think is still really relevant over. And it sort of goes um, quite well with Tom's article in terms of it was after the City win. And I sort of said that the exciting thing about Liverpool at the moment is that we're watching sustainable progression. I think when we went close to the title under Rodgers, there was always the chance that it could all go tits up. And, you know, the, we don't want to avoid mistakes of bad summers. I don't think that's in danger of happening. I think what's really exciting me about Liverpool at the moment is that we could keep progressing and keep getting better. And we can expect more brilliant seasons like this and hopefully some trophies and whatnot. Uh, so go and read that for me. It's on my Twitter and go and I've just, I've just literally seen come up now. Liverpool, the Liverpool website has released a new alternative commentaries, which is like they get a couple of players and get them to commentate over one of the earlier games in the season. 
Oxlade, Chamberlain and Genie did an absolutely amazing one on the 4-1 West Ham win. And they've just put one up of Van Dijk and Lovren doing the um, Newcastle game. So I look forward to I look forward to watching that, and I, I highly recommend that because Liverpool's media team is doing some really good work at the moment. Uh, so yeah, go and have a watch of that because it'll put a, it'll brighten your week, much like Tom and Leanne brighten mine. Yeah, you guys brighten my week as well. Leanne, anything you wanted to plug? Yeah, so going away from Roberto Firmino to the other end of the spectrum, to one uh, Harry Wilson. I have written an article. Um, on him and just sort of his progression through the ranks um, and then looking at his under-23s form, looking at how he's doing at Hull City and potentially this this idea that Liverpool haven't exactly got tons of depth at the moment. I know that's been written about quite a lot lately, especially in the wake of the West Brom result and even the the performance against Everton because they've been sandwiched in the leagues and I'm sure we'll see some rotation against Stoke as well. So, you know, of course, we're going to be buying in the summer, looking for ready-made players as we try to close the gap on City. But I think Harry Wilson's form is is more than deserving of a, you know, an inkling of a first-team appearance or two, whether that be in a domestic cup competition or not. It's it's hard to deny how good his goal-scoring record is, and he's far, far, um, you know, outperforming people in the championship. And, and the skill level and the the goals he's scoring are, are more than worthy of. of being in the Premier League, whether that be for Liverpool or you know, for one of the upcoming Premier League teams, uh, championship teams even. Um, so yeah, just looking at that and, and whether you know it's getting harder and harder for Jurgen Klopp to ignore his form. I think I think Jurgen Klopp might disagree with you there, to be honest. Um, but no, yeah, it's a really good article. Check out that one from Leanne. Um, I don't think I've actually got anything else out at the moment, so just keep your eye on this space. Obviously, all my post-match stuff. Same as, as these two guys who obviously both produce great post-match content. So I'm going to uh, plug AI Pro because obviously AI Pro is a fantastic uh, addition to the website and it's been going for a while now and it really is a brilliant, brilliant uh, scheme that Gags has put together. There's so much brilliant content on there, whether it's under pressure or whether it's a couple of the other ones. Talking tactics is always great. Uh, media. So there's, there's so many different angles that it takes it from and it's all really, really interesting content. Um, and obviously I'm going to plug this show as I do every week because I think it's a really good show. Um, Leanne and I obviously work really hard, but there's so many brilliant writers who always, always chip in with their own thoughts and always chip in with their own comments and always chip in with brilliant articles. So yeah, keep listening and thank you very, very much for listening. Thank you very much for coming on, Ollie. And we will be back next week. Network.